<clears throat> oh, okay. Are we ready to go, Reg? Good. Yeah, I got just got to clear the instrument a bit here. All right. <laughs> Are you ready to go? Yeah, so am I. Everything looks good. Levels look fine. Keep them there. Let's just get let's get rolling. We don't really roll anymore. The tape used to look like it was rolling in the uh, in the old days. But no more rolling. Everything's digitized. The numbers are moving. (laughs) Everything's binary now. Everything's binary, right? Okay, here we go. I'll give you the the three S's in the countdown. You give me the music, and I'll give you podcast number 361. So put it in the book. Ready? Here we go. Star, smile strong. And three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. Welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new podcast is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. But don't forget, that's not enough. Just hitting play and sitting back and being passive, eh, that doesn't cut it. You got to get out there. You got to tell your friends. You got to tell your family. You got to tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcast. And it should be theirs too. That loyalty and devotion that you express towards this part, this podcast, is certainly appreciated. Don't forget to rate this podcast. Subscribe wherever you go out to find this podcast, wherever it is. Make sure it's always there for you. If you like what you hear, you can go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section. You hit the prompt for this specific podcast, and my goodness, the riches you will find there. A prompt just packed with podcasts. A podcast-packed prompt. <laughs> Just keep scrolling down and scrolling down, and you will find podcasts dating back who knows how long. I've done at least 360 of these things. So welcome to episode 361. I am something, not not obsessed, but something of an anglophile meaning a fan of the british i've spoken about this many times and i've always told you if you're a regular listener to this podcast to go back and listen to previous podcasts because what we've talked about in the past sometimes plays a role in what we will talk about in the present and in the future and that applies to somewhat today in that as i said i'm a um, i'm a fan of of england Britannia, Londonium, if you will. I've been there many times. First went there more than thirty years ago. Fell in love with the with with the uh, with the country. Uh, feel very comfortable there. Uh, the history. I'm, I'm a history buff. I think you can tell. Great history, obviously. Uh, as an actor. Uh, there's a great historical heritage 
with Shakespeare and, and England and the United Kingdom and the monarchy. And uh, obviously, what the heck, my namesake is Elton Jim. <laughs> so obviously, one of my favorites, if not my favorite, musical artist and longtime idol and legend of mine since I was a little kid is Elton John, who is of British descent. I believe he made, aside from being in the royal family and being a monarch, a king, I mean, yes, he is Captain Fantastic, but I don't know if that's an, uh, an official title. <laughs> that was one that Bernie Taupin gave him. Uh, but uh, not only, of course, is he knighted, he is Sir Elton John, but he is in one of the, I think it's not even one of the, aside from the royal family and being in the royals, if you will, he is a member of the highest level of British um, titles. There's some kind of small group, an honorary, I can't remember what it is now, but there's only about a hundred or so people uh, in this group in in the United Kingdom that have this esteemed title, and it's for life. Uh, and uh, and Elton has that. I think Paul McCartney has as well. There's other British royalty and other people that that have it, but Elton is one of the few. So uh, he's certainly in an esteemed class practically a member of British royalty, not quite because he's not in the bloodline, but as much as an outsider can be, he's in that elite group. Uh, but once again, British, uh, British uh, descent. So uh, I've been there many times. I, I, I feel very comfortable there. I walk the streets. I must feel, I must look at least like I know what I'm doing or know where I'm going because many times when I'm in London, People will come up to me and ask for directions. <laughs> and then they hear my, my voice and they are somewhat either startled or disappointed because they realize I'm not a Brit. But at the same time, uh, many times I am able to tell them where to go if they're looking for directions, especially if it's a very well-known site. But I know my streets fairly well. At this point, um, I certainly do still carry a map but it might just be as a uh, safety valve. If there's places that I'm going that I know of and know about, I can pretty much get there without the use of GPS or a map. So, uh, And I've been in different places throughout the UK as well. So just always felt a, a very uh, deep, strange kinship. Uh, when I left there the first time, uh, when we were in the airport to leave, I, I felt physically depressed that I had to leave there. I've always wanted to live there. I still hope that's still kind of a dream, if, even for a year, just to be able to wake up every day and, or even if it's for two or three months, I never have the opportunity to really live, to work there for, you know, to move there for work, which would have been the, 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 the ultimate thing, um, but uh, I still have that kind of goal, perhaps, that maybe we can make that happen. Even if it's for two or three months, just the ability to just be staying there, living in a, in a British flat, if you will, 
and uh, and and being an everyday Brit would be something that I uh, I think I would enjoy very much. Even if it's you know two or three months, it could be cool. Uh, six months would be great. A year would be awesome. So who knows? We'll see if if someday that can happen. But uh, I certainly have been there many many times and and just uh, enjoy the people, the sights, everything about it. You can't go to London without being <laughs> aware of the monarchy. And in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be definitely aware of the monarchy because for many of us, we will be seeing our first coronation. There are some people that that are, you know, that are older in their, you know, 80s or so or 90s perhaps who were alive and well, certainly alive if you're in your 80s. You were certainly alive for it. Uh, how much you remember of it is another thing. But, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth was, uh, was, was coronated in the 50s. So certainly there are people alive that remember that. Um, but a great majority... Um, certainly for me, this is my first coronation. No, I am not going to England for the coronation. No, I was not invited. I don't know why. I've been checking my, my mailbox every day for the invitation. I saw it online. I know it's out there. I know they're sending them out. I know mail can be slow, especially these days. So I'm still, I'm not, I'm not counting that out <laughs> until the last minute. But I think I should probably be planning to watch it on television all the same. It might, might lessen the dis- disappointment when that invite doesn't come. But I'm sure that the people that, that, that are going have gotten and have received their invite. The actual ceremony is on May 6th. Now, you may, may recall, obviously, Queen Elizabeth, after a 70-year reign, passed away. Uh, what was it September of October of last year? And um, you would think, I mean, here in the United States, we're used to uh, a very quick transition of power officially. It's interesting to think that, I mean, Charles became king legally, officially, the day his mother died, right? Next in line, the heir that was basically his destiny from the minute he entered this world he was that was going to be his destiny if he lived long enough and outlived his mother and there were times when there were questions if he would outlive his mother because she had such a long life well into her 90s but he did and he had to wait long for that uh, for that opportunity but now here it is and though he has been king he is king charles the 3rd and he is doing the kingly duties, whether it was, I don't know really why constitutionally or parliamentary or whatever, historically, why the actual coronation takes place so much longer than him actually taking over the office. Not really sure, but, and maybe it's just a planning thing. This is going to be a huge, huge global event. Um, and even even here in the United States, we we 
if you think about it, uh, you know, the, our president, we do our election in November, but the new president isn't inaugurated until January. And I believe there were some times where it was even later than that initially. So um, it, it takes time to plan these things. I think it's probably longer in, in, the, in the past because of the, 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 the travel times it took for people to get, you know, to Washington and things like that as far as our we're concerned. I think it was sometime in April or March or April when the, uh, the inauguration used to happen, even though the election was in November. So there is a precedent for this, this period between the actual taking over of the office and the inauguration. But the transfer of power, you know, happens. But uh, this seems to be fairly long, right? I mean, May, so that's five, six, seven, seven or eight months. It's kind of a long time. But for whatever the reason, May 6th is the official coronation. And there are events leading up to it that, that during that week. Um, there's going to be a big concert. There's other things and other, I'm sure, galas and lunches and other kind of events like that in England that many people will be attending. But the big deal, the the main event, if you will, at Westminster Abbey is on May 6th. And there's already been, over the last month, I would say, there's already been a lot of coverage, certainly online, about this. Almost on a daily basis, there's a new story. Um, A lot of books are coming out to... uh, coincide with the coronation free publicity there will be monarchy mania certainly in london certainly in the uk but also around the world it will it's i mean you know that these days the monarchy mainly is a tourist attraction the king of england holds some power in theory, on paper, but it's not, the king doesn't really, or queen doesn't really run the country like uh, it may have at one time. Councils, he is updated. He has influence, but he doesn't really make policy, doesn't really pass laws. So in many ways, the monarchy is more, uh, you know, celebratory and... Uh, and just more of a of a construct than a governing institution. However, it still does, on paper, run the country, if you will. It's an interesting arrangement. The prime minister does meet with the king or queen on a regular basis. The prime minister certainly represents, I mean, the, the, the king or queen certainly represents the country uh, overseas to different countries and, and holds these official galas and things like that. The prime minister does work for the, for the monarch, yet it's the prime minister that sets the agenda and runs the government at the pleasure of the monarch to some extent the the monarch i don't think the monarch the king or the queen can remove the prime minister that's still so it's a weird little blurred line between you know the real power but it's there uh, it may just be window dressing at this point but if you go to england 
if you go to London, you cannot escape the monarchy. It's there. Uh, you're going to go and you're going to see, you're going to go to Buckingham Palace and you're going to, to be on the mall, if you will, not the mall. We say mall here. They say the mall. You're going to see that. You know, you're going to see uh, the statues and you're going to see uh, the monarchy represented in many ways on lampposts, the official thing, on the money, obviously. That's what's interesting. You know, as much as I say the prime minister runs is, is a big deal, but, you know, it's the monarch who's on the money. Queen Elizabeth was on the that Those are the only pounds that I've seen, you know, the paper pounds up to the, this point. So we have, this is a big deal. Although I, you know, in today's world, I don't know what is a big deal, right? I mean, everything's, everything is such, everything is treated like such a big deal that nothing seems like a big deal anymore. We, we become very blasé about these things because these, 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 these worldwide huge historic events are so easy for us to now partake in through television and all the different, uh, you know, content devices and formats that we have um i believe queen elizabeth's coronation uh was you know that was that was a huge deal in that it was it was you know satellite technology television was very new at the time in terms of it being something that every household had many did not have it when she was uh, when she was coronated um but uh you know the monarchy has always been good at um, at PR and at making sure that their message uh, and and all their pomp and all their circumstance, um, you know, gets out there. And so the Queen's coronation uh, was televised around the world. It was a, an historic event. Not only the event itself, but her actual coronation ceremony became a big deal. Because it was the first one to ever be broadcast. And so, uh, you know, and so here we are again now. It's taken a long time. <laughs> uh, but we will be seeing a, a coronation. She was, she became, uh, you know, the... Uh, the queen in February, but just like this, as I said before, she became the queen in February of 52, but, um, you know, her coronation wasn't until June of 53. So think about that. I mean, she, that was almost, it was more than a year. This is seven or eight months. So, but now, you know, everything, you know, all, all time, <laughs> everything is, is shortened. Uh, but that was a big deal then. It's going to be a big deal now. So uh, hopefully if you're an Anglophile or a historic, you're into history or just interested, uh, it's going to be live on television. It'll be early here in the United States. You have to get up early, two or three or four in the morning. But... Um, the weekend of May 6th, it's going to be a big deal. Charles finally, finally, in his mid-70s, finally gets to ascend the throne, finally will get to fulfill his destiny 
as being now the official king of England. Even though he has been for a while, uh, you know, There is some sort of, you know, and we say, well, why does it take so long? I, I believe that it's, there's kind of a, an, an official mourning time. And once again, everything was longer back then. Now, you know, we, we can, we'll mourn, but we're not going to go crazy about it. <laughs> back then, people had much more patience. So mourning periods were longer. Um, so there's an official mourning period. But so here we are. The mourning period is over. Uh, The great phrase, um, you know, in many ways, if there's a man or a woman that that succeeds, you know, the phrase is the king is dead. Long live the king. Meaning so in this case, it's the queen is dead. Long live the king. You know, that's there's a, a, a recognition that the one monarch is gone. And as soon as that one is gone, then long live the next one. We're off to the next one. But there is a mourning period. But that mourning period will officially end on May 6th, and Charles takes over. So I said there's a lot of, there's always a lot of palace intrigue. The royals continue to, um, I don't know, intrigue us, I guess is the word. It always has been certainly more in the last 40 or 50 years with the rise of um, multimedia and the rise of, um, uh, you know, newspapers and tabloids and paparazzi and the uh, how gossip has taken over our world. Certainly for the last 40 years, ever since the um, the introduction of Lady Diana really boosted the the profile of the monarchy. Uh, as we know, it was a very tragic tale from the very beginning. And so much of the monarchy has in England has been more for show uh, and, and very contrived as much as they try to make it sound like uh, it is very natural. And over the last 40 years, as the, as the media has become much more intense and much less willing to, uh, to turn the blind eye, there was times when in the media, even here in the United States, uh, certain topics and certain, certain issues about the, the ruling class, whether it's the presidency um, or government officials here in the United States, or as I said, uh, around the world, the monarch monarchy, there was, uh, you know, whatever was official was reported, but the private lives of many of these people were always uh, underreported, if you will. There was kind of an unwritten rule. There was a little more decorum in the past. There, we've always, I mean, human beings, you know, are always gossipy and always kind of, you know, intrigued by what's going on between this person and that person. The gossip and the rumors have always been there. But the media wasn't as gossipy and or you know gossip-oriented as it is today. We know now, for instance, here in the United States, you know, John F. Kennedy being the, the most obvious example. I mean, I mean, apparently he had a lot of affairs, before and during his presidency. Uh, 
and with some very high profile people, allegedly with Marilyn Monroe, allegedly with some many uh, girlfriends of perhaps even some mafia people. Uh, so JFK was a busy guy. He was only president for three years, but um, he certainly took advantage of the office and some of the other rooms in the White House. <laughs> and there were always rumors of this, not, not, but, but, but there were and there weren't. But the people that covered the reporters and the news agencies that covered the president certainly were aware of this. But it was kind of an unwritten rule that that's private and we're here to, that's not our business. And we're here to cover what the president does in his office, not what he does in his bedroom. Well, those those rules and those those unwritten rules and that mindset is completely gone. As I said, the monarchy has always been a major part of the fabric of England. And it's always, and London, certainly, but England and the UK. Um, and even when it's been ceremonial, it still has had this high level of prestige. People still bow. As archaic as it may seem, people still you know, there is etiquette in there. You still bow when you are in, you know, the presence of royalty. And in today's world, so many of those old constructs have been uh, decried and replaced or eliminated. But there is still um, a level of reverence to the monarch, the, the lead monarch, and even members of the royal family. So it's ironic because at one minute we're tearing into their personal lives and and airing all their dirty laundry and treating them like even you know like any other person any other personality in the public eye and yet at the same time those same people that are muckraking when they're in their presence they will bow to them. <laughs> I'll figure that out. <laughs> but certainly Lady Di changed the monarchy in many ways. Uh, we now know that, you know, it was, I said, you know, Charles is, uh, you know, his destiny from the minute he was born was to be king. That's why he was born. And so he was just in a waiting period in limbo for 75 years, but he was being groomed and being prepared for this his entire life. It's a rarefied air. Um, it's uh, it's certainly uh, a luck of the draw, right? Um, but we now have found out through many incidences and, 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 many, and many revealing aspects of just how contrived this monarch monarchy has always been to not only put forth a perceived perfect perception to the to the public but how they've also stayed with tradition but created a false reality in how different moves and who got married to this. Many of these old, old traditions that don't really hold much bearing in today's modern society, 
the monarchy, if, if anything, is defined by its tradition. And I said that's what May 6th will be all about. You will see all the tradition, all the history, all the pomp, and all the circumstance on display. If the monarchy does one thing for England, it, it, it ingrains that historic aspect which so many countries and so many people today, you know, history today is not valued as much as it used to be. And even in England, it's a modern society, but then they have this this centuries-old institution that is founded and based upon and continues to continue centuries-old histories and centuries-old traditions. And yet, as outdated as they seem, for the, for the, for on the same reason that they seem outdated, they're appealing because we see them so rarely now. And the British monarchy knows that and takes advantage of it. As I said, if you go there as a tourist, you will see shops and stores, and the monarchy is is there officially in this in the city of London and in the in the UK, but it is certainly there present as a marketing tool. It exists today as a marketing tool. And Lady Di really did, uh, I, I don't know if you want to say, if, depending on your viewpoint, either a service or a disservice to the monarchy. For those who are, are in favor of transparency and honesty and reality and humanness, uh Lady Di blew the lid off the monarchy and its secrets and its um, its constant view of what happens inside never gets to the outside. We always are portraying this this uh, picture and image of perfection and decorum and tradition. And Lady Di was a modern person thrown into an archaic maybe tradition and she wasn't she wasn't schooled in it she wasn't raised in it that's one reason why many times if you look back in the history of 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 royals and kings and queens many of of them were all related in some way cousins because it was like look We've got this little club here, and we all know the rules. And it's easier to just take those of us who have been raised in these rules and understand them and respect them and will live by them because that's the only way they've been raised. As hypocritical or odd or out of fashion or out of place, some of these traditions are, those raised with, within them don't see that. And if they don't, if, and, and if they do, they don't see it as much as some kind of an odd betrayal or being out of touch because that's their reality. We, we are all raised in uh, our own situation and what we're raised in is normal to us. Now, when we get out into the world, we decide we, we see how many different people 
live their lives. But, you know, when you grow up, those first five or six years, it's what happens under your roof that that you see every day, that you learn, that you take on as tradition or what's wrong and what's right, because that's what your parents have taught you. That's the environment that you live in. That's what you see every day, and we all learn by example. And when we're little kids, our parents and our home life, what goes on in our home is our real main example. Yes, there's outside forces, certainly in today's world, television, things like that, but for the most part. So, so you know, you meet anybody. You think about yourself. You know, what do you do for holidays? What you do for holidays many times is different than what your friends do. We're all celebrating the same holiday, but people do it. And, oh, we always eat this. We always eat this. We always do it that way. We, we sing a song. We say a prayer. You know, we have meatloaf. Well, no, we have ham. I mean, it's, everybody does it the same. So that's why in the, in the, in the monarchies around the world, which, which did run the countries, to keep that power base, to keep that tradition intact, there were very few outsiders that they trusted because they know they knew of all the shenanigans that were going on. Now, you know, a hundred years ago, we all we knew about was what they wanted us to know about in terms of the of the public perception. But you know, humans will be humans, and certainly. Uh, Lady Di changed all of that. It's hard for younger people to even understand that, but it certainly is true, you know, that um, she was such a, a a different kind of royal. She wasn't royalty. Now, they tried to pass her off as a commoner. She wasn't a commoner. She came from a very well-connected and prestigious family. They weren't royal, but they weren't, you know, they weren't cockney uh, people from the south of London. She still came from a from a privileged background. She met many of the criteria that used to exist for a royal to marry, and certainly a, an heir to the throne. And, you know, through the tabloids and the reporting and through her own public statements and now in the last five or six years through, you know, TV shows and documentaries and shows like The Crown, we see that the royal family is just that. Take off the royal and they are a family. Like anyone else's, they've got more titles, they've got more money, they've got more castles, and they've got as many or as more dysfunctional problems within that family. Always have, always will. We just didn't know about all the dysfunction that went on for centuries that was hidden and kept from the public, either by design or by etiquette. But those days are gone. And as more obvious 
right now how dysfunctional. They are the royal dysfunctional family. And that's not a knock. Because every family is dysfunctional. You know, we always aspire for the perfect family. And today in Facebook and Instagram and all these, everybody loves to to portray this perfect family unit. Everybody's posing in front of uh, you know, it, it, you know, from a different events, or you're on vacations, or you're at, you know, grandma's birthday party, or or little Susie's birthday party, or their confirmation, or their graduation, and there's always these perfect family photos, and everybody's dressed nice, and they're smiling wide, and there's a, you know, there's a beautiful background of a vacation or an event and we love to put you know you know we're hypocritical because we do the same thing on social media you know we can decry the monarchs and say oh a bunch of phonies they're just worried about their image but now in today's world when we're all worried about our image what are we doing that's been different than the monarchy's been doing for hundreds of years We've been portraying ourselves living these exciting, perfect, enviable lives with these perfect families and these great vacations and all these cool things that we do every day. Aren't we, aren't we creating our own propaganda just like the monarchs have? But we're not seeing it that way. We, we, we criticize them. Oh, they're a bunch of phonies. But what are we doing? On a daily basis, on Facebook and Instagram. Aren't we putting our best foot forward? And what do we have at stake? So every family has its problems, and we know that. Even if, even if your, your immediate close family unit is relatively stable, even in that stability, there are a few fissures and cracks, Right? You know, siblings don't always get along. They'll, they'll, they, they get along, they coexist, but are they the perfect pals that their parents had envisioned when they said, oh, well, I have to have a second or a third kid because, you know, they have to be, you know, they have to be friends and they have to be there for each other. And there's some siblings that don't talk to one another. Just like they don't talk to each other in the British monarchy. But those are obviously on display. And there's a weird dichotomy of that. You know, they, it's that, that public versus private. But, we, you know, it's just that the monarchy is, represents a country. But we're all doing that on the same, uh, in, in some extent, to some extent, aren't we? If you're, really seri- if you're really honest with yourself, isn't that what you're doing too? It's human nature. So I don't really consider it a, 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 a criticism to say the royal dysfunctional family. Every family is dysfunctional. Even the one that is the most stable still has its problems. There's some that are blatantly dysfunctional. But even the ones that might be as stable as they can be, there's still cracks in that. Whether it's internally right in that in that close family unit or the neck, oh, you know, this aunt or this uncle or this grandparent, whatever, there's always 
there's always tensions and there's always fights and there's squabbles and there's some that are more serious than others. We come to accept these, these foibles, these family foibles. We come to accept them. We have to. Because we're human. And as much as the monarchy in England has tried to portray this perfect family, in their effort for perfection, the tensions and the pressures to be so perfect make them even more imperfect, which is the irony. And we've seen that throughout the years. As the media tension has grown and the public fascination for the monarchy in England has grown, we have seen more and more of the realities of the way the Windsor family, which isn't even their last name really, they actually came up with that. That was another marketing tool. Do you know that? You know, last name is Windsor, but it really isn't. And that name Windsor isn't even hasn't even been in in use as the official last name of the royal family for for that long. It doesn't date back to Queen Elizabeth, uh, you know, the original or Queen Victoria. That was decided upon by the royal family. <laughs> they created their last name. It was like in the, in the 1900s. It's it's only it's it hasn't been around that long. The actual royal family in England has more German roots because as I said, <laughs> <laughs> this royalty, they they kept it all in the family. There was a lot of inbreeding because of the fact it's like, hey, this is our thing. Just like the mafia is called, you know, our thing, La Cosa Nostra. Well, there the royalty, the monarchy was our thing, and it was it was a family. So cousins married cousins from this country to that country. So in in, in respect. All the monarchies, many of all the major monarchies around the world had some connection to each other. They married within to keep it in the family. So the whole thing has been, has been contrived and manufactured. So the royals today are no better or no worse. They're not devious. They're not more devious than any other uh, era of the royal family that's the way it's always that's been the tradition that's the way they've maintained now a lot of the monarchies around the world have, have gone away but it's because of that tradition that the monarchy remains and as you know i'm sure you do there are many in england and around the world that say you know it's time for this to go because it's kind of a sham there's not a lot of real power in the monarchy, and we're seeing all this dysfunction. And what does it really represent? I'm telling you, as somebody who who is who goes to who has been to London many times, the presence of the monarchy does make England and does make London something different. If, even if it's all just pomp and circumstance and pageantry and and manufactured. Um, fairy tales and propaganda, whatever that is, 
in our crazy world that we've stripped away all of our artifice in many ways, there's something about this old tradition that is, has some appeal in the midst of a, of a society that, that today values transparency, that values reality, that values today, that looks to to the to history and de, and denounces it for the way it did things. There's something about seeing Buckingham Palace, seeing Windsor Castle, knowing who lived there, what lived there, what took place there. And so we will have this coronation this week. Or you know, in the next, next couple of weeks, and you will start to see more and more stories online and on television as May sixth gets closer. And the main story that you're going to see, once again, while King Charles the Third waits for this anointing, and that's truly what it is, there is a religious aspect to. A coronation, you know, in in histor- in history throughout the years, uh, you know, the pharaohs and all the leaders of countries, centuries for centuries, they deified themselves in order for the people to follow them. You know, the pharaohs were considered gods, not on the highest level. But they were still considered gods. And there is still a religious aspect to the monarchy in England. There is a sense, there at least historically, there was a sense that the that the monarch was chosen by God to run, to be king or queen. Now, I'm sure that that's going to be downplayed because that's not the perception today. But when Queen Elizabeth was coronated in the early 50s, 1953, I saw a a program about this, especially after she died, that at that time, 70 in in, in England, in the UK, something like 70 to 80% of the people felt that she was chosen by God to be queen. That was the perception. Now, don't forget, this coronation is taking place not at the VFW Hall, (laughs) not in Wembley Stadium. It's taking place in Westminster Abbey, a church. So there is a religious aspect to this coronation and to the monarchy. That was, of course, another way to consolidate power. This is not a human construct. This is a religious God-chosen construct. You can't get rid of the monarchy. God appoints the monarch. That's a good way, especially throughout the centuries, for people to to continue to follow it. People were afraid to go to hell. Well, I guess I better follow the monarch because God wants that monarch. God chose that monarch. So the monarchs and the kings and the pharaohs and all those, they were not dumb. 
they realized that they were really treading on thin ice in terms of their power. The way they they gained and consolidated power was made themselves gods or made them anointed and chosen by God. So there was there's always been a religious aspect to this. Now that's certainly not the case anymore. As religion has taken a a less influential role in 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 our society overall and that's not once again that's not my opinion that's just fact there's still people that are deeply religious no question but overall especially here in the united states and around the world but certainly the united states we are not as religious based a country today as we were 50 or 60 years ago just just simply not. So there will be a religious aspect to the coronation. It may be played down, but I believe the bishop or the archbishop is the one who actually crowns the monarch, the new monarch. So there's, it's, it's a religious ceremony. As much as it may look like it's a, it's a, 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 a you know a royal or majestic ceremony, there will be a lot of of uh, you know. The uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 visual touches of royalty and monarchy. There will be scepters and crowns and robes and and all that. The accoutrement, if you will. But there will also be a religious aspect to it. May not be played up as much as it used to be in history, but it will be there. But as I said, you know. We have seen the royal family, certainly a different side of the royal family in the last 40 years since in, in, the, in the lifespan of, and, and, and sadly, not just the tenure, but the, li- the short lifespan of Lady Diana. I mean, she was 36 years old when she was killed in that car crash. Think about that. You forget just how young she really was. But... Um, you know, uh, the royals are certainly more human than they used to be. We have seen more of their human frailties than we used to. And so while there is certainly uh, an aspect of still reverence, and specialness there's also a reality of that at the end of the day this is a family that's royal it's not a royal family and as the show the crown and other things have shown in documentaries it really is a business if you watch the crown the prince philip queen elizabeth's husband has you know called it the firm <laughs> and that's a corporate term so yes while people were related this was a family but but really the business aspect took more precedence over the 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 family aspect the personal and the emotional side of it it's a very and especially in a modern world it's a very odd 
yes, antiquated system, you know, and, and reality, a dichotomy that, that it, 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 it lends itself to the chaos because it doesn't fit with human nature. We are not perfect beings. And yet, the royal family, the monarchy in England, has always tried to present itself as perfect. And that striving for perfection has led them so far away from uh, from perfection because no one could live up to that. And so we have seen throughout the years, and once again, if you become an, if you're really an Anglophile, you can read about all the shenanigans and all the, 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 the private and personal affairs that, and it's not just in, in, in this, in the, in the current, in the last 50 or 60 years. The state specs centuries from the beginning. There was always scandals. There was always uh, you know, bad seeds and and sexual scandals and 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 business scandals and it's just we're 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 humans are are just imperfect. So the same problems that you may have in your family, they have in theirs and always have. And there's secrets. There's secrets in your family, right? Don't you? Yeah, I never. I didn't hear. I heard about you know Uncle Frank, but I don't know too. We don't really. We never really talk much about him, and he never. He stopped showing up. You know, there's every family has secrets. Every family has dysfunction. It's just amplified with the royal family. They're no better and they're no worse, but society has given them this prestige so certainly they are different in public perception but personally they're just as screwed up as everybody else's family and that is (laughs) becoming very present right now i mean if you think about charles you know as much as they were grooming him to be the king, his story is is fraught with scandals and inconsistencies. So he comes to the to, to the monarchy in many ways a very scarred king because he's lived a full life. If you've lived a long life, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. You're going to have a lot of of, uh, you're going to have some highs and some lows like everyone else. And see, he certainly has. You know, Queen Elizabeth was lucky in that. Lucky, I, you know, but not lucky. She lost her father at a young age. But in terms of her, the reason that her esteem was always high and it just grew with time. And we always, you know, in, in those cases, we give reverence to old age, not so much in 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 reality in in normal worlds, but in in a monarchy or something like that, we give reverence to his the longer age. But she was so young when she took over that she didn't have time to have scandals. So she went in and became the monarch, became queen with a because she was so young. 
she had a, a fairly clean slate. Most of the news about her that the public knew was positive. So she went in with a very positive image. Now, King Charles takes over with a very battered image on many fronts. He was this, you know, devil-may-care playboy type. Some say he's handsome. I don't know if he's handsome. He's, I guess, good-looking. He was probably much more dashing as a younger man because he was the prince of Wales and he had the monarchy he had the kingship in his uh, in his destiny uh you know that always helps a man's attractiveness right <laughs> and apparently he did play the field to some extent but as we know personally this guy was really screwed up in many ways emotionally torn by the by his destiny which we would all hope for how could you complain about it but what's the old phrase? You know, wait, you know, nobody lives in my shoes. The expectations for him were astronomical from the first day he was alive. And he caved under those pressures. And we saw the inner workings. We know that he was in love with a married woman. Camilla Parker Bowles, who is now his wife. But we know that. We know that the, the, the marriage between him and Lady Di was more about, is more contrived and more manufactured. It was presented as the ultimate fairy tale wedding. If you were alive in 1981 and you saw that wedding, it was the per, it was like a movie. Every aspect of that event and it was broadcast live around the world. It was the it the that wet the wedding of Lady Di and Prince Charles was probably the last time that the monarch the monarchy did it right, because at that time there was still an outward facade of a positivity about the monarchy. Up to that point, they had still been a, they were still able to. Control the image. And that was the fairy tale wedding. If you talk to anybody who saw it, certainly any women, if you saw it, the dress, the young, pretty princess marrying the gallant, you know, king to be, and there's the queen and the you know, and the prince Philip. He was never King Philip. And and all the family and the and the and the church, everything was just perfect. It was, it was, it was the last time that the monarchy not only they know how to put on a ceremony, no question about that. And you'll see that in a couple of weeks on May six if you watch it. You, but we will be viewing it with a, with a more of a jaundiced view now because we know that this is all pomp and circumstance. But forty three years ago. 42 years ago, when Lady Di got married, uh, it looked like a fairy tale. And that was exactly the image that they wanted. 
That's the exact image that they wanted, and they were able to pull it off. And it's probably the last time, because people all believed the fairy tale. We wanted to believe it. We are still very naive in that way. It was presented to us as a fairy tale, and we accepted it as a fairy tale. But it was not a fairy tale. <laughs> it was. but Well, I guess it was a fairy tale. But it wasn't a good fairy tale. We think a fairy tale is as good. Most of those grim fairy tales always end, as remember, they were very violent. <laughs> um, but that was probably the last time that the monarchy really had a hold on their public image. And Lady Di, Lady Di helped elevate the monarchy, and at the end of the day, she helped bring it down or at least humanize it by airing its dirty laundry. She was the first one to do that. And I talk about all this now because here is her son, Harry, who is kind of following in his mom's footsteps in many ways. You know, William is... The anointed heir, just like his father was, he lives in rarefied air, as Harry wrote in his book, Spare. He's the spare heir. And as soon as William had a son, he he, he fell out of the, the lineage of becoming king. It's not an easy life. We've seen that with Prince Andrew. Very similar situation between him and Harry. They, 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 they have the trappings, but they don't have, uh, you know, of, of, of the monarchy, but they don't have that ultimate power that their brother or their siblings has. And they are treated that way within the firm, within the family, and within the public perception. And in today's world, I don't think that Harry and Meghan Markle, his wife, completely understand that or at the very least, will don't want to accept it. I feel sorry for those for 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 Harry and Meghan. I really do. I, um, they they are in. I I don't know if they they're in a very difficult situation, and I don't know if they know how to handle it. They've created. I I give them credit for rebelling against a, an, an antiquated system. But at the same time, they want to have it both ways, and that's very immature and very selfish. If you don't want to do this, this was your birthright of living within this family. You don't have the top job, but you got a pretty good life. But these are the rules that it comes with. It's, nothing's free. You can't have everything. Even, even being born a prince, there are drawbacks in the case of Harry. You will have the trappings of, of, of royalty. The tr- you, will have, you will have wealth and privilege and respect just for who you are. You, you didn't even do anything to gain it. Now, in Harry's case, I give him credit. Hey, he, 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 he went out and, and did, he was out in, you know, in, in, in war, in real dangerous you know, sites. So I give him credit. 
But he had a problem when he was growing up too, and we find out in this in this book Spare that he's had a lot of problems. You know, he was he was twelve years old, I think, or something like that, when he lost his mother, maybe even younger. In a horrible way. There's those wounds are still fresh for him. I'm sure they're still fresh for William, but William has another calling. And so he's had to process that differently than Harry. Um, so I, I, I feel for them, but I also don't um, because they're making some bad decisions. You either have to, if, if you don't want to be, if you quit your job, you leave. When you go into your boss and say, I'm quitting, then you're, the, he doesn't think, he or she doesn't think of you anymore. You're done. Good luck to you. But you've decided to leave us. And we've got to keep moving forward, and we need people here that are there to support us. If you don't want to live this, you don't want to work for the firm anymore, that's your choice, but then you can't want the trappings and not have the downside. Oh, well, you know, there's all, you know, there's this, uh, the the press is, is saying this, and the family says that, and there's all this, well, you know what? You're, it's, you're, you're probably right. It's not fair. And Jimmy Crack Horn and I don't care. Life isn't fair. So you either accept the privilege and the wealth and you play the game or you look at it and say, I can't. And then you leave. But then you leave. You don't get the title. You don't, you know. Now, what's difficult about this is I said with, with Harry and this coronation, you're going to be hearing about this. You know, the irony is that Harry is and, and Megan, Megan's not even coming to the coronation. And they're making more news than Charles is. <laughs> the, the fact that Harry's coming by himself and the implications of that is making more news than the actual coronation for Prince Charles or King Charles. He's getting to finally fulfill his lifelong destiny, the biggest day of his life, and there's still this scandal that surrounds it because of the acrimony within the family. Apparently, the the two brothers, William and Harry, are still estranged. They're trying to, as they've always tried to do, to put on a good face, but it's impossible. It's a dysfunctional family. Feelings are hurt. Feelings are real. This acrimony is real, and you can't deny it, and you can't put a good face on it. When Queen Elizabeth died, oh, you know, the four of them, the four young royals, William and Kate, and Harry and, and Meghan walked together and the whole country, you know, Queen Elizabeth was, was, was queen for 70 years and the biggest news was, oh my gosh, the brothers are together. The Fab Four are back together. That's what they were calling them. The Fab Four and, every, and all you heard about, every announcer and reporter was saying, oh, well, I hope, we hope, we hope that this will be... Uh, the reason that the brothers come back together, oh my, and from what we understand now, it only has helped to, to, to widen the gap between them. Because in many ways, Queen Elizabeth was a mediator between them and their father. 
And now that mediator is gone. So they don't have anybody to go to. Hey, can you talk to dad for me? You know how that goes, right? Didn't you go to your mom or your grandmother? Hey, can you can you talk to mom and dad about me? You know, well, that mediator is gone now. So the difficult relationship they have with their father, certainly Harry, even if even if William has a problem with Charles, what he did to their mother, he has to put that aside because he has to be the loyal subject and the loyal son because he's going to take that job over in within the next 20 years most likely. Sometime, right? So he's got to play that role. Now, Harry, you know, as the spare heir, and that's why he named his book that, and that's what he is, he doesn't have that obligation. So he gets both the privilege and the scrutiny, but no payday. He doesn't get to be king. That's not easy. As I said, look at Prince Andrew. He had a scandalous marriage with 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 uh, with Sarah Ferguson. He's allegedly, you know, tied up with this Jeffrey Epstein and all that weird sexual stuff going on, because the guy you know, he didn't have a purpose. Charles had a purpose. You're going to be king, but the other siblings didn't really have a purpose, and so they wandered around, and that's what's happened to Harry. I, I don't think anybody's a villain here, but but they're also not, you know, a superhero. They're all flawed. Harry and Meghan are making some bad decisions. But at the same time, I don't blame them because it's a difficult situation. You can argue that Meghan is calling the shots and, and, and who knows? I don't know them. I don't know them personally. I could see outwardly some some bad decisions being made. But here, even Charles, from apparently on May 6th, when they have you know, their, you know, the, big, you know, the big thing in any royal ceremony is that big shot on the balcony, that big photo op on the balcony. When the royal family gets out on the balcony of Buckingham Palace and waves to the adoring throng of people and there's the royal family they're all there and, and the, the 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 public gets to see them all husbands wives brothers little babies grandchildren the whole thing once again a perfect media you know manufactured propaganda you know pr moment a marketing moment and from what i understand This year for the coronation, Harry will not be in that picture. You know, Megan is staying home in California to watch the kids, so his family is not there, and he apparently will not be in that photo. And the reason is, at, at least up at this point, this may change, maybe there's going to be public pressure, but as it stands right now, Harry is not scheduled or planned to be in that shot on the balcony. In that picture of the royal family. And the official reason is that photo, that balcony picture, is being relegated to only working royals. Harry and Meghan, 
are no longer working royals. They walked away from those responsibilities. They wanted both sides. They wanted the, the, the perks that go to royalty. They didn't want the work that went into it, the duty, the service. And so think about that in reality. You might say, well, that's only fair. You know, I mean, he chose not to do it, so he doesn't get the perks. But you're looking at that. If that's the case, and I get that, but that's looking at it, the monarchy, as the firm, as the corporation, right, as one of the employees of the monarchy. But look at it from the family aspect. Your father, on the biggest day of his life, He's taking the position that he was born to have. His whole life, he has been groomed for this moment to be king. And he's had to wait 75 years to finally do it. As a person, as a father... On the biggest day of your life, this is the biggest day of his life. It's bigger than the marriage was, the fairy tale marriage. It was bigger than the marriage. This is it. This is the moment he's been waiting for. This is the biggest day of his life. There will be no other bigger day. And he's not going to have one of his sons there. Isn't that odd? I would say working royal or not. Image be damned. Don't you want your son with you? And if you're Harry, and yes, you've created all this acrimony for whatever reason, whether it's selfish, immature, whether your wife's calling the shot, whatever that is, whatever's going on in their minds, whether it's real or perceived, we, we, it's hard to judge this one. It's a tough call. Some people are pro-Harry. Some people are anti-Harry. Some people are pro-Megan, whatever. But we don't really know the inner workings. But at the end of the day, stripped of all this pomp and circumstance and these designations and these these explanations, these convenient explanations or requirements or whatever, at the end of the day, on the biggest day of your dad's life, wouldn't you want to be there, royal or not? If your dad is having a great honor bestowed upon him or he's having something so special to him, even if you have fought with him, even if there's a, 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 a fissure between you in your relationship, I would think you want to be there. And if you're a father, same thing. Whatever acrimony exists, whether in your mind he is he is a spoiled, ungrateful kid, whatever it is, whatever the problems are and the, the personal viewpoints are between them, at the end of the day, this is not about a king and a prince. This is not about a monarchy. This is not about 
public perception. This is about family and a father and a son. On the biggest day of his life, Charles has made the decision that he will not have his son with him because he's not a working royal. Wow. That's a tough, that's a, that's tough. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you like Harry or not, whether you think he's a, a spoiled, whiny brat or not. Wow. Think about the reality of that. Of your last surviving parent and your mom was killed in a violent and unnecessary and tragic way when you're a young kid and your and and then your grandmother has passed maybe she was your one ally that was that as i said before that mediator hey could you could you talk to dad for me who does he have he's got his wife and their kids But there is nobody there now to say to Charles, perhaps, you know, maybe you should have Harriet here. Charles is calling the shots now. The mediator is gone. I don't know how that relationship ever gets healed. I hope, if I'm, if I'm Harry right now, I mean, he's going to put on a good face, but he's got to be hurt as a person and I just have to think that if, if that's true and this and he doesn't he's not in that picture he's not up on that balcony I just think that Charles has to someday really regret that moment and regret that decision and it might haunt him for the rest of his life I hope he changes his mind because that's a real, that's a real tough call. That's a real cold message to be sending on the most important day of his life. He's not going to have one of his sons there. Wow. There's some days when you have to put family above the firm. I will be watching the coronation. I will be intrigued just like everyone else. But I have to say, when I see that balcony shot, and if the decisions are not changed, and Harry is not there, they're all going to be smiling and waving, and the crowds are going to be cheering. And I'm going to look at that as a very sad picture. God save the king. But I hope he can make a kingly decision. Maybe Prince Harry doesn't belong to be on that balcony at the coronation. But his son Harry deserves to be there. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anyone 
who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 361. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting from the end of the web to your screen.